This morning, uh, we turned the corner, as I said. Chapter 5, we saw Jesus spoke extensively about his disciples living rightly or righteously, especially by obedience to the revealed will of God, the moral law of God. His disciples are from the heart to live as children of the Heavenly Father, to be conformed to God's moral character, to bear the family resemblance, to love even their enemies as their Father in Heaven loves His enemies. So the issue there was moral righteousness, be perfect, Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 48, as your Father in Heaven is perfect. So we said, that's why we all need a Savior. We're not there yet. Now here in chapter 6, Jesus turns to the practice of righteousness or acts of piety. Things like giving, verses 2 to 5, and praying, verses 6 to 15, and fasting, verses 16 to 18, over which verse 1 of chapter 6 is kind of a general heading. These are what we might call uh, devotional righteousness. Things we do out of devotion to God. And in each of these actions of his disciples, Jesus is concerned to ask and to ask us to ask, why do we do what we do? What motivates you to serve others, perhaps with your money, or to talk to God through prayer, or even to deny yourself as you fast, if you fast? Why do you do what you do. The answer to that will tell you a lot about your heart and about who you think God is to you and who you are to God. And so this morning, we want to look at the general principle, verse 1, and the first application of it about prayer in verses 2 to 5. Let me invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Amen. This is God's word. May he cut our hearts with it. Let's look to him in prayer. Father. We pray that you would bless us, teach us, correct us, rebuke us, train us in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. A giving Savior should have giving disciples. And here Jesus says, but beware. Beware, verse 1. That's the sort of language you use to warn someone of danger. And there are dangers here. What danger? Well, there are different ways to give. 
And he says, don't give the way that the Pharisees do. Now, Charles Spurgeon tells a story about different ways to give. Uh, Once upon a time, he says, there was a king who ruled over everything and everyone in the land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And he took it to his king and he said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king was touched and discerned in his, uh, the man's heart. And, and, and so as the man turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. There was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, what, (laughs) you know, what a gift for a carrot land. What if you give the king something better? And the next day, the nobleman came to his king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion, and he bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you. And the man, and he he took the horse and the man was simply dismissed. And the nobleman was perplexed. And so the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. One giver was sincere and gave out of love and respect. The other was a hypocrite who gave to get out of love for himself. And the Lord Jesus is interested here in the way that you and I give. And he says, I want you to give not only the right thing and it's right to give, but I want you to to give in the right way as you give with the proper motivation. And so in the passage, Jesus uh, gives a warning in the first verse. And then he applies it in the second and third verses, both negatively, don't do this like the hypocrites, but verse three, positively do it like this. And then uh, then he speaks of the proper motivation for giving to the Lord in verse four. And so let's think about these things in the first place. Verse one, Jesus warns his disciples not to live like hypocrites. Beware, he says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, understand, Jesus isn't criticizing giving, and he's not, in the next passage, going to criticize praying or later fasting. In fact, he commends them all. He doesn't say, if you give, or if you pray, or if you fast. He says, when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. There are these, these are the kinds of things you do towards God, he says. Like, like prayer, you do it towards God. Uh, there are things you do towards others, like giving to the needy. And there are things you do even towards yourself, like fasting. He assumes all three will be part of our Christian experience, and he says they should be done in secret. Now, at first glance, when you hear Jesus say, don't do them to be seen, do them in secret, it seems to contradict if you remember what he said in chapter 5. 
Because in chapter 5, verse 16, he had said, you are the light of the world. And then he said, "In this, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in both passages, he speaks of doing good works to be seen by others. Here in chapter 5, he, he, he commands it. And here in chapter 6, he forbids it. And we might scratch our heads and say, what's up with that? But as John Stott points out, the contradiction is only verbal. It's not substantive. Substantive. In chapter 5, it's our propensity to cowardice that he's, that's made him urge us to let your light shine before men. But here in chapter 6, it's our propensity to conceit such that he urges us to do it all in secret. We can sum it up this way, as, as uh, A.B. Bruce put it. We are to show when we are tempted to hide, and we are to hide when we are tempted to show. And so he says, look, be, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. He's getting at motive, right? And so we have to ask, are we pretending to be righteous? And we have to admit, as Christians, we are all tempted to want to look good in front of others. We're all tempted to want to be seen by others as being good or righteous Christians. We're all tempted then to be fake in following Jesus as long as other people think well of us uh, as we go along. Why do we become like this? Why is this such a strong temptation for us? Well, on the one hand, we, we might just not be paying attention to our own continuing sinful disposition and the nature of our hearts as imperfect yet before glory. And so we're tempted to, to give expression to that sinful pattern. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a different answer, as Sinclair Ferguson points out. In chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, Jesus refers to God as Father Ten times. He speaks of the relationship of disciples as children to their father and himself as the son of the father. Ten times he speaks of God as the father, which is more than all of the uses of that towards God in the entire Old Testament. He piles up the idea, he presses it upon the conscience. We are to live as children of the Father, secure in the knowledge that we belong to God as our Father and we as His children. But the hypocrite is fundamentally insecure before God. He doesn't know God as His heavenly Father. And since he feels insecure before God, he seeks his security in the opinions of other people about himself. He's insecure before God. So he needs people to think well of him. J.I. Packer is right when he says this. You sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of, of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how well he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. 
The, the hypocrites, Jesus is saying, did not understand God and a relationship with God very well at all. They didn't know themselves to be his children. And so they sought their security, what other people thought of them. And so therefore it was vital to the hypocrites to do outward acts of righteousness so that they could be thought well of. And so I ask you, do you know who you are to God and who God is to you? Are you conscious of being a beloved child of the heavenly father? You don't need to purchase his affection for you. You don't need to sustain his love for you. We need to remind ourselves God loved us and gave his son for us. And Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And he is all my righteousness. I don't need other people to see me and validate me. I don't need to to perform for you. For God to love me. And that kind of security needs to then shape my honesty about what I do and why I do it. One pastor invites us to imagine five people giving money to the poor. The first gives money to the poor because it's Christmas time and it's a thing people do. Lots of people out gathering uh, charitable money. And this man's path is ruled by that principle of imitation. He's simply displaying the instinct to do what others are doing. The second man gives money to the poor because he wants others to know he's good to the poor. And when others find out, they will admire him. The principle at work in his heart is selfishness. When he hands his money over, you're seeing a display of ambition. This is going to help me get ahead with other people. The third man gives money to the poor because he wants people to applaud him. The principle at work in his life is self-centeredness. He wants to be clapped over. His giving is a display of vanity, conceit. The fourth man gives his money to the poor because he feels for their needs. He gives out of sympathy. You're seeing a display of humanity. The fifth man gives to the poor because his father in heaven wants him. To give to the poor. And the principle at work in his heart is love. Love for God. He loves his Father in heaven. He wants to be more like his Father in heaven. And so he is displaying the godliness of being a child beloved by his Father in heaven. To the outward eye, all appear to be doing the same thing, the same outward act. All five are giving. But within, there are all kinds of motives at work. And Jesus says your motive is to be informed by, shaped by, your relationship with your Father in heaven. You know his love for you. And you love him. You want to please him. You want to be more like him. And so if you live under the eye of men, you're not living for the eye of God. But if you're living under the eye of God as a beloved child... You don't need to live for the eye of men. That's the first thing. He warns us about acting like the hypocrites. Second, he says, as he applies it, he says, so then don't give like the hypocrites who give with an eye towards people. Verses 2 and 3, right? Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So he says, when you give to the needy. Now, this wasn't something new. 
Jesus understood that the Jews had been expected to give. There's much in the Old Testament about uh, giving to the poor. Besides their giving to the government, it's taxation, and giving to the church, it's tithe. There were offerings, mandatory offerings for the giving to the poor, as well as voluntary offerings to the giving of the poor. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 31 said, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. It was something expected in the Old Testament and Jesus expects it for his disciples. After all, Jesus in the end of chapter five had just said about our father in heaven that he is, he is, he is generous and kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He causes his son, right, to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes his reign to fall upon the evil and the good. He's generous and we are to become like him. We're to be generous givers, Jesus says. Cheerful givers. Sacrificial givers. And we all have a long way to go in that, don't we? Jesus here describes a man of charity. A guy who's gone out. He's planned a gift. And uh, what does he do when he gives his gift? He hires a musician to blow a trumpet, to sound a note, to call attention to his gift. Older commentators thought, because Jesus taught this, that this was an actual Jewish practice. All the later commentators from the Reformation on can find no historical example whatsoever of people actually hiring a trumpeter to do it. The point is, though, that they did it in such a way it was like they were saying, bum ba bum ba I'm going to give. There's going to be money for the needy right here. Come on, come on. You, you understand that this is kind of the attitude, right? And it was all a show. They weren't giving, they were taking. Jesus says, this is not a gift in the sight of God. It's a purchase. He's not giving his gift to help the poor. He's using the poor to help himself. And we just have to reflect that the love of human praise is very deceitful. And it is a subtle desire. When you start doing things for God to be seen by others, applauded by others, honored by others, thanked by others, it is a slippery slope until that's the only reason you're doing anything. Your whole life that becomes a show, a play. Put on for the observation of others. In fact, that's the word Jesus uses to describe the Pharisees here when he calls them hypocrites. It's a word right out of the play acting uh, business, right? An actor who put on a show for others was a, and it wasn't pejorative, they were a hypocrite. In their day, they didn't so much use makeup to uh, change their appearance, but they put on a different mask to play different characters in the play. That's perfectly appropriate in a drama. Right? Playing a character, getting into character by wearing a mask. You cover up your true self to fool others into thinking for a time and for their entertainment that you're someone that you're not. That's fine in TV and movies and dramas and musicals. But it is the opposite of the Christian life. We are to be who we are. Not to impress people, but because we belong to our Father. They didn't really give, they bought their recognition. People would think, how generous, how thoughtful, 
how wonderful, how conscientious. And they would talk about it, and they would admire them. And Jesus says about these folks, they have received their reward. The word he uses there for uh, having received their reward is the word for a receipt. The bill is paid in full, and you're given a receipt that says it's in fact paid in full. In other words, Jesus is saying they have received their reward. They got what they purchased. They wanted the applause of people and they got applause. And that's all they're going to get. If you live under the eye of men, you'll get the eye of men. If you give to get attention, you'll get attention. If you serve for others to notice you, you will be noticed and you will have your reward and that's all the reward you will ever get. Now, we might ask, now so how literally should we take this? I mean, does everything we ever do by way of giving or, or, or let's just expand it to, to, to meeting the needs and cares of others in service, must that all be done anonymously, right? Should I have walked in here with a drape over my face and you didn't know who I was, right? I mean, let's, you know, frankly, let's ask that question. And we, we ought to recognize that the New Testament church did not take Jesus that woodenly, literally. Why do we know that? Well, Barnabas sold his property, property and laid it at the apostles' feet at the start of the church for which he was commended and it wasn't anonymous and others followed his example and it was a good thing. We know that the Gentiles collected their money to give to the church in Judea, which was suffering famine and poverty. And that giving wasn't anonymous. They're recognized for it. Paul writes thankfully to the Philippians for sending him money to support his ministry, and their giving wasn't anonymous. So anonymity anonymity isn't everything. The issue is the motive. And anonymity can't be guaranteed in every act of service or giving. The issue is the motive. We know that the Philippians gave their money to Paul out of love for God and a desire to prosper the gospel, not so that Paul would praise them, certainly not so that he would write it in a book. There's no hint that Barnabas sold his property so people would think highly of him. He thought highly of Jesus, and he wanted to see people blessed by Jesus. They were given out of love for God. So when you give, yes, don't give to be seen. For then when you give, you're giving to be seen and you have your whole reward. And then recognize the second danger. The second danger is not just that others will see, but that you yourself will see. Did you catch how Jesus puts that in verse 3? I mean, you're not out of danger, even if you give anonymously. There's a temptation to applaud yourself, to pat yourself on the back, to say to yourself, what a generous person I am, how admirable and how honorable and how wonderful I am, right? Jesus, verse 3, says so when... When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, how is that possible? And of course, in a literal sense, it's impossible. 
But in a figurative sense, he's saying, look, don't be self-conscious about your giving and self-approving. That can so quickly degenerate into self-righteousness about your giving. See, the Lord knows that there's two different kinds of hypocrisy here. There are others, but there's two. There's the kind of the person who gives because they want to be praised by other people. And there's the hypocrisy of the person who wants self-praise so that they pat themselves on the back for the good that they do in service of God so that they feel really good about themselves. And at the end of the day, that can be just another form of self-love. And not God love. It is possible to gain all one's reward by others' praise or by self-praise. And the Lord Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You seek, you seek to please God. You seek to honor God because you love God and are grateful to God. Don't let the opinions of other people drive your behavior. So we've got to keep reminding ourselves... Uh, as we give that we should not give to be seen instead then what should our motive be Christians should give out of love for their heavenly father and you see it here tucked in in verse 4 your father who sees in secret will reward you what's he getting at again giving with an eye to your father not toward yourself or others giving out of love for God giving because you respect God Giving to God because you're grateful to God and the salvation He gave you in giving His Son for you. You have a heartfelt desire as a child of your Father to be obedient to God and you want to be more like God. And out of all of that, you give. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now look, don't think of those rewards like um, itty-bitty soccer. Right, where if you show up one out of four weeks of the season, but it's the last day, you get the participation trophy like everybody else. That's, that's fine. But that's not what Jesus... You, Jesus isn't tacking on gold cups, silver cups. You're not getting paychecks for being generous. You're not... Right? The, he's not talking about those kinds of rewards here. So what is he talking about? Well, he doesn't actually tell you in this passage. What kind of reward you'll get. He doesn't lay it out. Now, Philip Jensen in his sermon on this that I listened to, it was really helpful, offers four suggestions that overlap with some others as I read. Four suggestions, and I'll just, I'll just bring them before you to, to think about them a little bit as we think about rewards. Uh, and first I'll say, if you remember our sermon on chapter 5, you don't have to remember it, but on chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, you're persecuted and your father will reward you for suffering for his sake, we talked about C.S. Lewis's take on this. That the rewards aren't extrinsic to the behavior. They're the consummation of the behavior at work. You can look at that too. But, but think about this. It's possible that the reward is this. That you receive the righteousness you're seeking. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. It's one of the Beatitudes. And now here you are out of love for God, being generous to the poor, and you are what? You're becoming what you aspire to be and what God has said he will certainly fully and finally make you to be in heaven and has declared you to be in Jesus. In other words, this is part of your sanctification. You're becoming righteous like God has planned to make you. Secondly, it could be this. 
you achieve the purpose of your action. Uh, You pray and you're heard. The reward is the answer. You give and your gift is effective. It helps. So when the hungry are fed or the naked are clothed or the sick are healed or the suffering of others is relieved or the missionary is sent or the lost are saved or saints are sanctified or the church is built up and the gospel is propagated, whatever it is you gave your money to, that love prompted... You are pleased when it's effective by the grace of God. John Stott says, Such love, which is God's own love expressed through us, brings its own secret joys. Maybe also your heart will learn, as the apostle put it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's a reward in that. Just that lesson. Thirdly, Maybe it is this. Your Father in heaven is glorified. God made such a change in your heart. You were a miser. And then Jesus came into your life and he made you generous. And now as you express that generosity, God is honored and glorified as your Savior and Father. That's the reward you seek. His honor. Or maybe it's this one day. Maybe not here and now. Maybe not rewarded here and now, but there and then in glory to come, you'll hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that will satisfy all your desire for reward from God. It could be those things, but let's, so let me close by asking, uh, do you have a reputation? Well, you do. Maybe you don't know your reputation. We all have one. Do you do what you do in order to get that reputation? Are your efforts calculated to impress? That's not godliness, Jesus says. That's vainglory, vanity, conceit. Giving to the poor here, I think, is just one illustration of the principle of doing good to others, especially those who can't do good back to you, for which this principle applies. I mean, there are other ways to give than money. We give our time, we give our energy, we give our food, we give our help, we give our counsel, we give our instruction, we give our service. We use our time and our talents and our treasure to help others. Are you a teacher? Do you lead music? Do you help us sing? Do you bring meals to people in times of trouble? Do you open your home? Show hospitality? Are you serving in women's leadership? Are you an elder at Redeemer? Do you aspire to be one or a deacon? I mean, there are all different kinds of things that we do that are public services to the body of Christ. Why do we do them? Why do I do what I do? Is it to be seen by others? Or is our heart aflame with love and thanks to God? And that's why we do what we do. And so this is again... An exposure of the impure and mixed motives of the heart of even the most refined and godly believer this side of heaven. Don't you find that to be true? You're a jumble of mixed motives. May the eye of God upon us lead us to repentance. May the knowledge of a selfless Savior who died to rescue hypocrites like us 
Give us a genuine heart to honor Him. And may we know that we are the beloved children of our Father. There's nothing we can do to impress Him. And yet He loves. We don't have to impress others either. Let's pray. Father, forgive all the the twisted iniquity of our hearts and cleanse us from all the false reasons we serve You, the things that we've done in the past. We ask even that You would redeem those things now in light of our desire that they would be for Your glory. Redeem those things to Your glory and honor and praise. And in the future, teach us, we pray, to walk in Your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.